Africa rise and shine Africa tsoka Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Nigerian parties continue to woo voters ahead of Saturday's election and Russia slams U.S. government for meddling in the internal affairs of Venezuela. In economics news, top Israeli company to start flying tourists to Zambia and in sports news, South Africa caught off guard on day one of the opening test against Sri Lanka. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The Islamic State has claimed responsibility for an attack on the convoy of a state governor who was headed to a rally in northeastern Nigeria ahead of Saturday's presidential election. The group, in a statement on its Amak news agency, say that 42 people were killed in Tuesday's attack on Bono State's governor. Official sources told Reuters early on Wednesday between 3 and 10 people were killed and that some of them may have been beheaded. Security sources said gunmen opened fire at the motorcade transporting. Bono State Governor Kashim Shatima on his way from state capital Maiduguri to the market town of Kamboro for a rally. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa and the opposition DA will battle it out in the Constitutional Court later this morning over whether the President of the country must release records and reasons for executive decisions, including cabinet reshuffles. The case stems from a controversial March 2017 cabinet reshuffle by predecessor Jacob Zuma. The President is arguing that a court order for the release of records on the cabinet reshuffle, in which former Finance Minister Pravin Godan was fired by former President Jacob Zuma was judicial overreach. Ramaphosa is challenging a high court judgment ordering that records of top decisions of the executive should be made available if they are taken on review. Ntebo Mukobo reports. The doctrine of the separation of powers and the president's prerogative to change his cabinet as he pleases will be tested in the constitutional court this morning. The DA contends that the axing of Pravin Koran in 2017 was irrational and reviewable. And the parties, James Self, says they now want the record of decisions that led to his dismissal. All decisions taken in terms of the constitution of South Africa are reviewable and have to be rational. And so we took the case on review to attack its rationality. And in order to do that, we are entitled to a record of decision. 
but the presidency says it has a case as it cannot provide a record of decisions of the executive every time a decision is taken on review. The European Commission has added Saudi Arabia, Panama, Nigeria and other jurisdictions to a blacklist of nations that pose a threat because of lax controls on terrorism financing and money laundering. The move has triggered criticism from several EU states, notably Saudi Arabia. The Commission also added Libya, Botswana, Ghana, Samoa, the Bahamas and the four United States territories of America, Samoa, U.S. Virgin Islands as well as Puerto Rico. The 28 EU states have have one month which can be extended to two to endorse the list they could reject it by qualified majority Spain's socialist government is on the brink of collapse after it lost a vote in Parliament on its budget of the year. Catalan separatists withdrew their support in an attempt to bring about talks on the future of the semi-autonomous region. The finance minister, Maria Jesus Montero, has appealed for pragmatism. The BBC's Guy Hachko reports. Pedro Sanchez's socialists had fewer than a quarter of seats in Congress and relied on support from Catalan nationalists. But Mr Sanchez's refusal to negotiate the staging of a binding referendum on Catalan independence angered them. And this week, the controversial trial of 12 pro-independence leaders has begun in the Supreme Court, fueling tensions. Although the socialists have been leading many polls, right-wing parties might be able to form the next government if they perform well in the upcoming election. And finally, the first ever religious summit to be held in South Africa, which brings together religious leaders from across the spectrum, faced a rocky start with some questioning the legality of the meeting. At first, religious leaders would not accept the agenda of the summit hampering the start. They then called on the chairperson of the Commission for the Promotion and Protection of Religious and Linguistic Communities to excuse herself from the meeting as she is not a religious leader. They also questioned why the summit is held at Pastor Ray McCauley's church. After hours of disagreements, they agreed to break into smaller commissions to discuss issues and reconvene later. Advocate Nadine Bedenhorst is from Freedom of Religion. Those organizations who've been actively involved in the democratic processes, and in particular who opposed the recommendations of the CRL for regulation of religion, have been completely left out of the processes for the convening of the summit including the appointment of Pastor Macaulay, and this is, this is not personal, it's just stating the facts, the task team, the press conference announcing the Rayma meeting, and all subsequent meetings and communications in preparation for the meeting. And my question is simply this, why is that? And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Russia's envoy to the United Nations has labeled as unfortunate attempts by the United States to interfere in the internal affairs of Venezuela. Speaking to a gaggle of reporters outside the Security Council, Moscow's ambassador described a U.S. draft resolution completely unbalanced. Among others, the U.S. text calls for the immediate start of a political process that leads to free and fair elections and unhindered humanitarian aid deliveries into the country. Show and Bryce Pete's report. 
Russia that initially didn't believe the Venezuela file should be debated in the Security Council has introduced a counter-draft resolution urging member states to uphold the UN Charter and refrain from actions that would further provoke tensions in the country. Ambassador Vaselina Benzia was asked for reaction to the US version and why Russia introduced its own text. I'm sure that you already saw it, uh, had a chance to, uh, to acquaint yourselves with it. Uh, it's completely imbalanced, just uh, shift the uh, accents, uh, sorry, shifts the accents uh, upside down, and uh, we thought that it was timely and appropriate uh, to support the territorial integrity, unity, sovereignty, and Venezuela. Uh, the the call for for the Venezuelans themselves themselves to solve that issue uh, peacefully. Uh, with no even hint at military intervention. So if uh, that, uh, that will be the case, uh, we will come up with it, of course. The U.S. text expresses full support for the opposition-led Venezuelan National Assembly, whose leader, Juan Guaido, declared himself interim president last month. Tensions could come to a head later this month, after Guaido declared that some of the humanitarian aid sent by the United States and blocked on the border with Colombia by Venezuela's military would be brought into the country on February 23rd. I'm worried about bloodshed, uh, but I'm more worried about inciting bloodshed, because if uh, there is no incitement on the bloodshed, then we have better chances not to have a bloodshed. President Maduro has dismissed the notion of a humanitarian emergency in his country despite dire economic conditions and acute shortages of food and medicine. For its part, the Southern African Development Community released a statement Sunday condemning attempts by some countries to interfere in the affairs of a sovereign state and trying to install the interim president. Benzia agreed with the sentiment. What is this? I, uh, we, 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 this is this is uh, this is a very unfortunate attempt to interfere into internal affairs of uh, sovereign countries, which is not shared by by the majority of the international community. We we saw the, the statement of the South African uh, Development Community today that uh, that supported the legitimate government that uh, stood against uh, interfering into domestic affairs, and that should be the principle. It's not about Maduro government as such, but. It, it is about the principle first and foremost. President Maduro retains support from the country's powerful military and has accused the United States of a coup attempt in plain sight. Washington has not ruled out military action against Caracas. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York. In Nigeria, more than 84 million registered voters are expected to go to the polls for presidential and parliamentary elections on Saturday. There are 73 presidential candidates, but the main contest is seen as being between President Muhammadu Buhari of the All Progressive Congress Party and Atiku Abubakar of the Opposition People's Democratic Party. More than 60% of Nigeria's population are below the age of 30, and many of them say they will try to avoid the elections as the BBC's Ishaq Khalid has been finding out in Abuja. The last leg of Nigeria's 2019 presidential campaign. 76-year-old incumbent president Muhammad Buhari is vying for a second term. His main challenger is 72-year-old Atiku Abubakar.
In Nigeria, 51% of the electorate are younger than 35. The youth vote is crucial. But far away from die-hard supporters attending political rallies, many other young Nigerians will not vote, as I have found out touring through the capital, Abuja. 26-year-old Ali Ubakwe is a driver of tuk-tuk taxi, popularly known as Kekena Pep in Nigeria. Driving me in the yellow-painted vehicle, he tells me he voted in 2015, but feels disappointed and decided not to vote at all this time. He believes the authorities have failed to provide security for rural communities, like his home village in the northwest of the country. Because we have insecurity, maybe we can join the line to Bolton, army robbers, they will come up on fire for us. That is why. So that with what we are expected, we pledge up and prestate to avoid the election. I meet hairdresser Rachel Anne in her shop in a small market. She's frustrated and will not take part in the elections. The 35-year-old tells me she has no confidence in the political process, as she believes votes do not count for much in Nigeria's elections. If you vote, what you vote will not come out. They will give it to the person they want to give. So for me, not for others, for my own personal decision, I will not vote. I have the voter's card that I will not vote. 60% of Nigeria's population of roughly 200 million are below the age of 30. A significant number of them haven't registered to vote. In Nigeria, a lot of young people are suffering from poverty, a lack of jobs, and an underfunded education sector. They feel neglected by politicians over the years, leading to widespread disillusion amongst the youth. Some young people are campaigning for more youth participation in politics. One such campaign is known as the Not Too Young to Run movement, which particularly pushed and succeeded last year in getting the Nigerian government to sign a bill into law, reducing the minimum age of contesting for political offices by five years. But ironically, one of the campaigners, Mariam Loshi, tells me even she is not able to vote this weekend because of glitches in the voter registration process. I registered. I went to pick up my permanent voter's card. It wasn't available. They said they hadn't printed it. I'm so disappointed because the last election cycle, I wasn't able to register because I was away. And so this would have been the first time that I would vote in Nigeria. Despite the widespread disenchantment, more than 42 million people under the age of 35 have registered to vote, hoping those to be elected will address the chronic problems affecting Nigeria's youth. That report by the BBC's Isha Khalid in Abuja. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. 
A second day of debate on the State of a Nation Address was harsher towards South Africa's President, Sil Ramaphosa. It was not only about government's failures, but directed at him personally. COPE leader Musua Legoda labelled Ramaphosa a sellout. Lula Mamadia reports. When COPE leader Musua Legoda took to the podium, President Ramaphosa had stepped outside. He requested to speak when Ramaphosa was back. No, Honorable Lukota, now you are wasting your time. Please proceed. No, 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 no. The president addressed me when he was here on the podium. I want the president because I want to answer some of the things he said to me. He called me by name. He called me by name. Honorable Lukota, please hold that time. Honorable Lukota, you now amaze me. From 1994, you have been sitting in these benches. You do I, know that during the State to, of the Nation address, the, no, I'm addressing you, Honorable Lulikota. I'm addressing you. No, Honorable Members, this amnesia is amazing. Honorable Members, the President or any other minister is just a human being. They do have a chance to go out and to come back. Since 1994, Honorable Lulikota, you and I are witness that, in fact, there were instances when the presidents would not even be here. The president was quick to return. Lekota accused him of selling out some of those in detention to the security police. With us in detention, when it was difficult, you wrote to the special branch that we put communist ideas in your head. In doing so, you condemned us to the special branch. And I say, no, no, I say this to you. I say this to you because the, the special branch rewarded you as they always reward their victims. And they send you home. And we headed to Robben Island. Health Minister Aaron Mutualeti came to Ramaphosa's defense. Motswaledi questioned Lekota on the reasons why he campaigned for Ramaphosa to become Secretary General of the ANC in the early 80s. The minister says they had another preferred candidate, but they listened to Lekota as they had high regard for him. In 1991, when this president, Cyril Ramaphosa, was standing as the Secretary General of the ANC, you were one of the people who came to mobilize us to vote for him. Why did you want ANC to vote for a sellout when you knew exactly that this man is a sellout? He sold you at Robben Island, yes, because you were, yes, the young people, I remember, led by Peter Mugaba, wanted Alfred Nzo. We were of the UDF era, and we're listening to you because you were our very famous, very famous, powerful, yes, publicity secretary. The ANC appeared to be unfazed by these allegations. Minister of Women in the presidency, Batabile Lamene, said it's all about the upcoming elections. In another development, some of the opposition continued attacking Ramaphosa about ESCOM's woes. FF Plus leader Peter Grunewald and ACDP leader Reverend Kenneth Meshwe had this to say. But Honorable President, where were you? You became the deputy president for the ANC in 2012. You became the deputy president for South Africa in 2014. 
So where were you? What did you do in five to seven years of this nine lost years that has cost South Africa dearly and its taxpayers? You, Honorable President, are complicit to the loss of those nine years, whether you like it or not. Load shedding sends a negative message to potential investors who will be concerned about the loss of production, time and revenue. Chairperson, the crisis at ESCO, which resulted in unprecedented stage 4 load shedding, has caused public outrage across the country. The ACDP surprised that President Ramaphosa is shocked and angry at the crisis. He has been involved with ESCOM since 2014 and shared the ESCOM war room at the height of state capture. President Ramaphosa will respond to the debate on Thursday. Lula Mamakia in Parliament. The Congress of South African Trade Unions, Kasatu, says it supports for the ruling ANC won't change despite the recent unhappiness over the unbundling of power utility ESCOM. The Labour Federation has vowed to seek clarity on government's intention to split ESCOM into three entities when it meets with President Sol Ramaphosa next Monday. In his State of the Nation address in Parliament last Thursday, President Ramaphosa said the power utility would be split into three companies to deal with generation, transmission and distribution under ESCOM holdings to make it sustainable. Debo Mukobo has more. Kosato says it will oppose any restructuring at ESCOM that would lead to retrenchments. The decision to split ESCOM into three entities was mooted at the 2017 ANC National Conference and the recent announcement in the President's speech to unbundle ESCOM is seen by many as merely implementing the conference resolution. But Kosato General Secretary Bekin Chalinchali says nothing much has been said on how this is going to improve the efficiency of the power utility, insisting that the President needs to clarify what form is the restructuring at ESCOM going to take. We don't know what government hoped to fix on the issues of uh, unbundling. They're, they're not quite clear how unbundling itself will be able to make ESCOM work better. We're meeting with the president on Monday to have a thorough discussion in terms of what is the government thinking about. We don't believe it's going to lead to a better working of ESCOM. In fact, we're putting conditions to us that any engagement on bundling should be underpinned by no retrenchment, the electricity must be affordable, no privatization, and clean government in dealing with uh, the question of ESCOM. And on Wednesday, Kosato led a countrywide protest much against job losses. But President Cyril Ramaphosa was quick to allay its fears, saying the next Monday meeting will try to find a workable solution for ESCOM that would also benefit both the nation and protect jobs. We want a just transition. I mean, the workers that they represent are our people. They are South Africans. We are concerned about working people. And this is one government that has demonstrated very clearly that the concerns of working people are the concerns of all South Africans. So we're going to be able to sit down and say, this is the challenge we face. Uh, And once we get to grips with the challenge we face, then we've got to come up with what are the solutions. Elia Kosato in Houghton threatened to withdraw its support for the ANC in the forthcoming elections if the governing party unilaterally goes ahead with its restructuring of ESCOM. But Njalinjali says despite their differences with the ANC on the proposed unbundling of ESCOM, 
supporting the ANC in the May 8 polls is a conference resolution that can't be reversed by a slight irritation. He says they will campaign for the ANC as they are part of the alliance and have participated in the drafting of the party's manifesto. Our relationship with the ANC is not based on issues that if there's one issue, don't agree, therefore we'll be going back and say we needed to convene a conference and decide whether to support the ANC. It's a long thought issues. We debated the issues. We're part of the manifesto. There were a number of issues we agreed on the manifesto and we said based on that manifesto, we'll be continuing to support the ANC. So there's no issue that we're going to to be going to a Congress to reverse its decision in the next two, three months. But it should not be regarded in the ANC that COSAT will vote for the ANC forever. We are clear on these matters. We will vote and we are mobilizing for the ANC for that matter. Nchali Nchali says the crisis in ESCOM should be put squarely on government for allowing rampant looting and for steadfastly refusing to invest in the power utility in a very long time with the intention to deliberately run it down and privatize it. I am Tebo Mokobe in Johannesburg. Kasatu has set three conditions for governments in its plans to restructure ESCOM. Speaking in Durban, Kasatu President Zingiswa Losi said there should be no job losses, no hikes in electricity prices and no privatization of the power utility. The Labour Federation says impending job cuts in the public sector will cripple the economy. Meanwhile, Kasatu held marches across the provinces as it embarked on a one-day nationwide strike yesterday. Vusi Makosini reports. The Labour Federation COSATU has vowed to fight tooth and nail against the changements in both public and in the private sector. There's been talks of job cuts in state-owned enterprises such as ESCOM, Denel and the SABC. Addressing the Deben March, Lucy said the Labour Federation is opposed to job losses. What we are saying, comrades, is that we are ready to engage with the ANC-led government. We are saying government can give the restructuring of ESCOM any name, but we have three conditions. One, there should be no job losses, there should be no electricity hike, which would affect the poor, and there should be no privatization of ESCOM. While the SACP wants a moratorium on retrenchments, the party supported Kosato's national strike against job losses. Last year, some mining companies indicated that they would train thousands of workers. Addressing hundreds of marchers outside the Houting legislature in Johannesburg, SACP Deputy General Secretary Solima Paila said job cuts will add number of people dependent on government and this will also cripple the economy of the country. They have never come back to the unions and to the workers and say, now that we are coining it, we are making more money, we want to guarantee our jobs. They continue with retrenchment of workers. This we condemn in the strongest terms possible. We say there must be a moratorium against retrenchment in the private sector as well as in the public sector. The Gauteng Education Department says it will implement the no work, no pay principle in cases where teachers have participated in COSAT national strike. This comes after many schools were left empty as teachers joined the strike. Gauteng Education spokesperson Steve Mabona has considered that township school were severely affected. We can confirm that we were actually severely affected mostly in, in the townships and where there's a majority of your, your SATU members. 
because where you don't have a majority of SATU members, then schools continued, you know, normally. As you will know, that is not only SATU uh, that is a, is a teacher union in, in our space. So we do have other teacher unions, so they were not on strike. So their teachers will then be you know, at school. But you'll know that is uh, no work, no pay. In most parts of the country, businesses continued without many glitches. Only schools were reported to have been severely affected by the strike. Many schools were closed as teachers participated in the industrial action. Tax experts say South Africa's revenue collection deteriorated dramatically during the end of December. Lower revenue collections could result in the widening of the fiscal deficit. Analysts forecast a fiscal deficit of 4.3% of GDP during the current fiscal year. This will be larger than the 4.0% that was projected during the medium-term budget statement in October last year. Tepomongwai reports. Finance Minister Tito Mboweni will have to maneuver within a tight fiscal space. In recent years, government's revenue has been on a downward spiral. One of the main challenges facing President Cyril Ramaphosa's government is the growing over-reliance on the state by the majority of South Africans. And with the dwindling revenue, government will have to come up with creative ways to meet public expectations in order to deliver free basic services and continue to offer free health care and education to the majority of its citizens. Government must also ensure that there is enough resources to meet the growing social security expenditure to ensure stability in the country. Kyle Mendy is a tax expert with PwC. Unfortunately, the, the, the revenue collection is not looking good. So we, we've seen significant slippage in the, the last three months or so, as far as collections are concerned. So they started the year looking, looking pretty good. Um, but unfortunately, it, it's, uh, the situation has deteriorated um, up until the, the end of December. Um, the, the, the outlook for the remainder of the fiscal year is not looking good. So it is uh, uh, coming as a bit of a shock to, to the system, if you like. Um, but uh, the bottom line is that that's the reality of the situation um, and is going to impact uh, on, our, on, our, on our deficit. Um, uh, in the, as I say, in the absence of any other changes being made. In recent years, government has stretched its financial resources to breaking point and the cracks are starting to show. Past budget speeches have shifted the goalpost with debt levels and wage bills slowly getting out of hand. Rating agencies are keeping an eagle eye on these developments. Some have given South Africa extended time to get its house in order. Mendy expects a negative review from rating agencies. Yes, so certainly our expectation is that uh, the rating agencies are likely to, to view uh, the, the slippage uh, negatively, and ultimately it may well potentially lead to, to a, a downgrade, certainly on the part of new entities, um, to, to sub-investment grade um, in the next year or so. So it, it, it is a real concern in terms of where we are, um, unfortunately. More concerning is that government has run out of space for tax increases. Recent tax hikes have failed to improve tax revenue. However, good news is that growth is expected to improve slightly this year. Lulu Krugel is chief economist with PwC. We expect 2019 to not blow up the lights. Uh, we do expect a better year than last year. We expect growth of around 1.4 to 1.6 percent. 
but unfortunately, if we go more towards the budget and some of the details that we would see there, is the fact that um, tax revenues has been under pressure and that we will potentially undercollect um, by a quite significant margin in terms of what was forecasted. But Krugel has warned of possible risks that could derail the growth prospects. On an international level, we believe that the trade war between China and the U.S. will still play a significant role, specifically during the first half of this year, as well as Brexit. And if we move to South Africa locally, we'll probably have to wait until after the elections for a lot of important decisions to be made. Even businesses are putting off some of the investment decisions until after the elections. So we do foresee that the second half of the year will be significantly better than the first half, but with the first half until the elections, kind of a sideways movement and a wait-and-see attitude from a lot of local businesses in terms of making investment decisions. I am Tepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the Islamic State has claimed responsibility for an attack on the convoy of a state governor who was headed to a rally in northeastern Nigeria ahead of Saturday's presidential election. The European Commission has added Saudi Arabia, Panama, Nigeria and other jurisdictions to a blacklist of nations that pose a threat because of lax controls on terrorism financing and money laundering. And South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa on the opposition DA will battle it out in the Constitutional Court later this morning over whether the President of the country must release records and reasons for executive decisions, including cabinet reshuffles. Those are the stories making headlines. Hundreds of African environmental campaigners currently meeting in the Rwandan capital, Kigali, have called on governments on the continent to join hands in safeguarding the environment. The call was made amid concerns of continued activities that undermine efforts to protect the environment in many areas across Africa. Silvanus Karamera reports from Kigali. The three days gathering has convened experts and stakeholders from government and non-governmental bodies in charge of protecting environment across Africa. Speakers during the day-long sessions have admitted the lack of coordinated and collective efforts in tackling challenges brought about by human activities that have risked environment for several years now. As if this is not enough, the climate change has worsened the plight of global citizens in many parts of the world, including Africa. And unless stakeholders and governments work together, everyone is deemed a great loss. This is Francoise Claude from Global Environment Fund. Keep in mind the fact that we have a single Earth, a single planet, and we need to work together to protect it. You cannot build sustainable development and you cannot protect the environment in which human beings live without having a very solid foundation uh, to uh, land, to food production, to energy use, to protection of biodiversity, and that awareness has increased enormously, right? Of course it is a challenge and there are trade-offs between development objectives and uh, protection of environment and of that foundation. But on the other side, members of the gathering here believe the difference in the priorities have stalled all efforts meant to take the fight an extra height. And if that is the case, 
What should be done then? Engineer Kuleta Ruhamnya is known as the Director General of National Environment Authority. Yeah, I think we have common understanding. We can only differ on priorities because sometimes the priorities is country-specific. If I have more issues in floods, I will deal with for prevention and control floods. Some have more on waste management, so the priority is on waste management. But again, how Jeff supports those countries, they have different uh, portfolio. There's this Jeff 7 they have sustainable cities, they have uh, biodiversity, they have climate change. So they're different. So it's a choice of the country to, according to the priorities of the country. Others said that the international and governmental organizations should strongly come on board and a very good sum of financial assistance because at the end, the consequences affect most of their countries too. But the African government, as they put, should be at the forefront because of traditional means of sourcing for energy for domestic consumption. Masimogo is a delegate from Kenya. Looking from the African perspective, we depend on wood as our source of fuel. We depend on wood as a source of maybe for building materials and all that. So if you can remove deforestation from the system, and we have alternative means to, to address the needs on fuel and the you know, construction matters. In the long run, our environment will be better and even for the future generations. About 15 African countries are represented here. And at the end of the conference, about 46 million US dollars will be given out to these countries by the Global Environment Fund to support various environmental protection projects in the respective countries. Silvanus Kalimera reporting for Channel Africa. In Kigali. The 14th of February is Valentine's Day when couples and lovers celebrate their love for each other. Join Channel Africa on Friday, the 15th of this month, for a panel discussion on love in Africa and for Africa between 12.30 to 13.30 Central African time as we celebrate One Love for Africa with our African brothers and sisters all over the continent. As it is Valentine's Day, which is a day for love, for me love means family, friends, partner, and again, it means a love for myself, which it means love for my country and the continent, which is Africa. Let's dismantle prejudice and work towards achieving greater unity and solidarity between African countries and Africans as a whole. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. South Africa's fruit. South Africa's foot and mouth free status is temporarily suspended due to the recent outbreak of the disease FMD among a small population of animals in the country's Limpopo province. FMD can be considered a trade disease with countries like Botswana, Namibia, Zambia and Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, already announcing the suspension of beef imports from South Africa. Professor Arno Hugo of the Food Science Division at the University of the Free State tells us more. Food and mouth disease is basically a contagious viral disease that affects pigs, cattle, sheep, goats, and other clover-hooved animals. Symptoms of animals include fever and blisters inside the mouth and on the feet. These blisters make it difficult for the animals to eat and also cause lameness. 
But animals usually recover from the disease, and what is important is that the disease does not affect humans. Why is it that if an affected animal arrives at a slaughterhouse, it would not be slaughtered as all animals are inspected before they get slaughtered, yet the disease does not affect humans? Okay, one must realize that it's highly unlikely that an affected animal will end up at a slaughterhouse because during such an outbreak, cloven-hoofed animals are not allowed to be moved in or out affected areas. So animals from affected areas could normally not be slaughtered or would not be slaughtered for human consumption. But in the highly unlikely scenario that such an animal would arrive at an abattoir, it would not be slaughtered since all animals are inspected before slaughter. The affected animal will be euthanized and the carcass will be destroyed or cremated. If a human should be exposed to such meat, it does not affect humans, but the virus will be killed by eating and cooking the meat. So what are the regulators doing to reduce the spread of the disease to livestock? Okay, what they currently do is the areas are restricted. No movement of animals are allowed. Government is currently treating animals and vaccinated animals and basically doing everything possible to prevent the spread of the disease. Why do you consider that this will have a negative effect on export markets and how will this affect South Africa's economy? It will have a negative effect on export markets because it is a trade disease and neighboring and other countries basically do not allow meat to be exported to them during such an outbreak to basically prevent the disease spreading to their countries. And because it's very difficult to take years to build up an export market and it will therefore definitely have a negative effect on export. But the good news is that some meat products were already relaxed after this food and health outbreak. So it's clear that government is busy get the situation under control. For our last question, as a consumer, how will this affect the retail price of stock? Does this mean because the supply will reduce, then the price will increase? Or does it mean that because there is a foot and mouth disease outbreak, then the price will decrease? Remember, we export some beef and sheep meat, and that will now not be exported, so it will have to be absorbed by the local market. So one may have a situation where the consumer price may move sideways and even a bit downward. But consumers must continue to enjoy red meat and must use this opportunity to buy and freeze meat for later use due to this possible slight oversupply and buy the meat at the reduced prices. That was Professor Arno Huger of the Food Science Division at the South African University of the Free State speaking to Channel Africa's Numbuise Lotango. Experts warn that 1.1 billion young people are at risk of hearing loss due to prolonged and excessive exposure to loud sounds, including music they listen to through personal audio devices. To help prevent this, the World Health Organization and the International Telecommunication Union have issued a new global standard for the manufacture and use of these devices, which includes smartphones to make them safer for listening. The standard is issued ahead of World Hearing Day, which will be observed on the 3rd of March. For more on this, Jane Rabutata spoke to Dr. Shelley Chada from the WHO. So we know that 
nearly 50% of people who listen to music uh, over their uh, devices, their personal audio devices, smartphones, MP3 players, do so in a way which is posing a risk of hearing loss. So either they're listening to it at very loud volumes or for very long periods of time, which over a period of time is going to damage their hearing and result in hearing loss. Now, the new standard issued by the World Health Organization and the International Telecommunication Union, how exactly does it seek to make audio devices safer? Talk us through the recommendations. So, based on a lot of, well, study, some surveys conducted also with user groups, also uh, based on evidence about what kind of levels and and what kind of time we are looking at, um, this standard essentially proposes three recommendations. So firstly is the recommendation that every device, every smartphone should include in it a system which can measure how much sound the user is receiving. So think of it like uh, somewhat like a speedometer in a car. So the speedometer tells you how fast you're going and similarly this in the device, this measurement system can tell you how much sound you're getting. So how much sound did you get today or in this week and are you going over your sound limit or are you within that sound limit? The second recommendation pertains to certain safety features. Again, taking the analogy from road safety, think of it as an option for those who are um, really aware that, that there's the need to protect their hearing. So we offer also recommend that there should be certain safety features so that when someone is going above their limit, when someone is receiving too much sound, it can automatically reduce the sound level to something which is in the safe zone. It also should offer, the device should have in it certain options like parental volume control so that the parents can fix what is the maximum sound their child can receive without damaging his or her hearing. That's Dr. Shelley Chada of the World Health Organization speaking to Jane Rabotata. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Our economics updates up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Good morning. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to announce more plans on how to solve Eskim's power crisis. Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon told Parliament on Wednesday that the power utility needed a cash injection. 
by April to survive. Eskom has implemented load shedding for the past four days. It will implement Stage 2 load shedding on Thursday, starting from 8 o'clock this morning to 10 p.m. local time. Ramaphosa said last week during his State of the Nation address that ESCOM would be unbundled into three entities, generation, transmission and distribution under ESCOM holdings. Independent electricity trader Temba Nipukula says South Africa's power utility ESCOM requires leadership that can immediately ensure that load shedding is discontinued to stimulate economic growth. I'll have details and more on that story in the next hour. Zimbabwe will host the Africa Forum Conference in April 2019, which is being organized by the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport Zimbabwe. Africa Forum Conference is one of the CILTS's international events planned in each calendar year. The other two events being the International Convention to be held in Manchester, UK, and China International Development Conference planned for China in November. The conferences bring together professionals, senior government officials, development funders and policy makers from various countries across the continents to address issues pertinent to supply chain, logistics and transport in order to inform policy directions and global interventions. Israeli big destination management company Ashit has expressed interest to commence charter flights to bring Israelis tourists directly to Zambia and Zambians to Israel for pilgrimage. The company president and chief executive officer, Krama Ephraim, says Asher Tours is conducting charter flights to various destinations in Africa and the world, as well as sending groups on regular flights. Zambia's Minister of Tourism, Charles Banda, says that the deal will benefit both parties, as Zambia has a lot to offer as a tourism destination of choice, such as safari, diverse waterfalls, and adventure tourism. The Member of Parliament for Khaburoni born into North Duma Boko says Botswana is at risk of missing out on the benefits of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, otherwise described as cyber-physical systems involving entirely new capabilities for people and machines. Boko, who is also the leader of the opposition parliament, was responding to national budget speech, which was presented by Finance Minister Kenneth Mtambo, or Matambo earlier this week. According to Boko, Botswana is on course to be excluded from the benefits of the fourth industrial revolution because of its education system. Indicators at the Sawa. The US dollar is at 360.18 Nigerian Nara. 1029 Botswana Pula. 99.48 Kenyan Shilling. And at 11.87 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 372 Brazilian roll, 6588 Russian ruble, 7065 Indian rupee, 675 Chinese yuan, and 1386 to the South African rand. The US dollar is trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 88 cents to the euro. Looking at uh, gold now. One three zero eight dollars platinum seven eighty four dollars pounds. So the price of Brent crude oil sixty three dollars ninety seven cents a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoku, and this remains your favorite channel.
A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. We begin with football news in this hour. South African national under-20 football team, Amajita, huffed and puffed but could not find the smoke that would progress them to the final of this year's Africa Youth Championship following a 1-0 semi-final loss to Senegal in Niamey, Niger, last night. The South Africans will now face Nigeria in the third-place playoff on Saturday at 5.30 p.m. Central African time. Meanwhile, the Senegalese side will lock horns with Mali in the final on Sunday, where they will be making their second successive appearance, having lost to Zambia hosts two years ago. Having already qualified for their main target, the FIFA Under-20 World Cup, after finishing runners-up to Nigeria in Group A, the South Africans went into that encounter looking to emulate the class of 1997, who are still the only group to have made the final. And Zambian... Champions Zesco United were beaten 2-1 by Ashanti Kotoko of Ghana in the CAF Confederations Cup group stage match played in Kumasi. Zesco will have themselves to blame for some lackluster defending that saw them concede two goals in the first half from easy situations in a game Jackson Were missed a penalty. Our Zambian correspondent Namuchana Ligezo reports. It is so disappointing because they were beaten 2-1 yesterday in the in Ghana, Kotoko. It is disappointing because they put up a good fight. They were even given a penalty, so they failed not to convert it. So at the end of the day, they were beaten a 2-1, and now the group is wide open because Ghana also beat our Hlao of Egypt by two goals to one. So it means that all the four teams in this group, they have three points each. They're sitting on three points each, all of them. So it will be interesting to see how they will play the next games in this group of cricket news south africa's wicket keeper quindin go considered they were caught off guard after sri lanka enjoyed the better of the opening day of the two match test series in Devon yesterday the proteas were reduced to 17 for three early on before recovering to post 235 at kingsmead the tourists then replied by reaching stumps on 49 for one and in the pound seat the gok was the savior of the home side after he smashed 80 off 94 balls, but he conceded afterwards that it was not an ideal start to the game. Yeah, obviously, um, you know, we didn't think we were going to get off to such a bad start, um, but credit to them, they bowled well up front there. Um, but, you know, I think saying that our rebuilding phase is pretty good. Um, you know, I think going forward we'll be much more alert um, to the bowling up front. We've understood that Saranga Lakmals is serious. Um, opening bowler, we were a bit unaware of the, the new guys. Um, I think they caught us off guard. Um, so going forward, I think we'll just plan better and I'm sure we'll get off to better starts. Dikok admitted that they had prepared for the 55 test Sam Smith's bowler, but not his inexperienced teammates, which may explain why they were in so much trouble early on after losing the toss and being put into bed. To be honest, we've known a lot about Saranga Lakmal. Um, we've seen a lot of them played against him quite, quite often, so we we knew of them. Uh, we've got good play, good uh, game plans against them. Um, but the two new guys we haven't seen. We've only played in, only played one bowler and white ball cricket. The rest we was very unseen before. So I'm sure that took us a bit off guard and to understand and change our our game plan can become quite tough, especially 
with the pitch. Um, you know, they, they bowled really well. They didn't miss their lengths often. And the managers worked hard for what we got. Slow and steady won the race for Team England, who overcame a 10-shot overnight deficit to deny the Gulf South Africa juniors a second successive win in the Africa Amateur Stroke Play Championship at Leopards Creek. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine is the sour. Nigerian parties continue to woo voters ahead of Saturday's election and Russia slams U.S. government for meddling in the internal affairs of Venezuela. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzura Magadza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to southern Africa is Vusi Nova with the song titled Ndigu Tandile.
餐厅。